read. Let me read for you. This is uh, a review I came across. When I go through my sermons, I'll, I'll, I will always time it. So I want to figure out how long it's going to be because I don't want to go super long. As long as Jonathan did the other Sunday. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Just teasing. You were, you were fine. But um, so one, maybe a couple months back, I, I was like, I need to download just a, a stopwatch app that would be a little bit more helpful. So I did. And, and there was uh, this review for this, um, this app that really caught my attention. I just want to read it. Um, and, and I'm not poking fun at this person. I just, just hear me out. Just listen through this. So this is a review for a stopwatch app on my phone. It said, I started this stopwatch my freshman year of high school. I must have left it on because I went on the app one day and discovered that it had been running for 2,000 hours. Instead of looking at it and saying, cool, and deleting the logged hours, I felt a burning desire to allow the app to run in the background indefinitely. I'm now a high school graduate and a college student, uh, having been through three jobs, six girlfriends, and two best friends. Um, and, then, and, and seeing life, the life of my grandmother um, come to a sudden end, he says. But then he says, throughout, this is where it's interesting, he says, throughout the uncertainties of life, I can always look toward this app for guidance. As it seems to me that no matter what happens in life, time will keep ticking by. Make the most of every second of life. This is your once and only time to enjoy it. And he said, I miss my grandma. Or miss you, grandma. So, again, I don't write this to poke fun, but I was struck by how this young man, in the uncertainties of life, the most solid, concrete thing he could look to was an app that kept track of time. And that brought some sort of assurance Maybe continuity. I'm not sure. But he would look to that guy, and it's in a, I thought to myself, I want to just cry out and say, there's more. And we look at the Gospel of John, one of the verses that over the last year that the Lord keeps bringing me back to again and again is that story where Jesus is teaching, teaching some hard, difficult things in, in John chapter 9, or chapter 6. And... People are leaving, crowds are leaving, but Jesus turns to the disciples. He turns to the 12 and says to them, um, are, are you going to go? Are you going to leave as well? And Simon Peter, in verse 68, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And just think, of this and thinking of this theme and this idea that we have one who has the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? There's so much, so much greater than looking to, to an app running on our phone that just says there's time that continues. There's so much more, and we know that Christ is the one with etern- that has the words of eternal life. And as we study through John, we read these words of Christ. We see his life, but there's just tons of, of teaching of, of Christ. He says who he is. In John, and it's going to be just an exciting gospel, exciting book to just walk through week by week and look at these truths. And the gospel itself, the gospel of John, I saw in a couple places where it referred to John as a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant can swim. 
so I think that, and that's the truth of the Gospel of John, where it's a lot of times one that we, we, when we're introducing someone to Christ, we walk through the Gospel of John. But also there's just such depth of theology in it. And as we begin a book, whenever we begin, we always talk about who's the author, who are the recipients, kind of what's the date, what is the main purpose, and we're going to walk through some of that today. And we're going to look at the first five verses. We're not going to get too far in, but with all the intro and all everything, I might exceed Jonathan in his sermon time. So we'll, we'll try to get through, though. Um, but the author it is... John, the disciple, um, historically understood as such, and believe it is, one of the twelve, whose name means Yahweh is salvation. What a great name to have. So John and Jonathan's good name. Good name. Um, and John was the son of Zebedee, um, brother of James, one of the other disciples. And, and you know that Jesus, maybe, if you grew up in church, you probably know the nickname for James and John that, uh, that Jesus gave them. They're the sons of Sons of Thunder, right? Um, so they must have been an interesting pair together. Um, if you have sons who are, yeah, oh, I guess they would be brothers if they're sons. So anyway, you know, they, we, have, we have sometimes sons of, sons of Thunder. But there's a story where they, the disciples and Jesus, they wanted to go to this Samaritan village, and they rejected them. They would not receive them. And James and John are like, can we call down fire from heaven? And Jesus turns to them, and he rebukes them. We see that in the and Luke chapter 9. Um, and also we know another story where um, James and John, they request of Jesus, and they get some help from their mom as well. Um, in your kingdom and your glory, can we sit on the right and the left? Um, and we, we see kind of a little bit of their personalities there. And John, he also, in the New Testament, um, he, the books of the Gospel of John, of course, that we're doing now, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation are books all attributed to John. John is a fisherman with his dad and his brothers, and they must have had enough business going on that they had hired men. We see that in Luke chapter 1, verse 20. So they were fishermen. John was a fisherman. Also, something else we know about John is throughout the Gospels, we see that, that Peter, James, and John, they're part of that close circle of the disciples around Jesus, kind of that inner circle that Jesus, when he would select a few to go with him, he would, sele- he would select Peter, James, and John. And they went to, with Jesus to the resurrection of Jairus, his daughter. Um, the Mount of, of Transfiguration, when Jesus showed his glory to them, those three were, were with him. Also, when Jesus was at the end of his life, uh, right before his arrest and trial and crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, who went with him? Peter, James, and John. And the Gospel, it's interesting, the Gospel of John, we don't see John refer to himself by name throughout the gospel, and that's kind of a unique thing. We have the one reference to the son of Zebedee near the end of John, and then six references to the beloved, um, the beloved disciple. And we can't 100% be, know for sure that this is John, but most likely and historically, traditionally, we've understood that this beloved disciple is, is John speaking about himself, and he inserts himself into the account. And we have this beloved disciple one of the instances of this is near the end of John, John 19, verse 26 through 27, where Christ is hanging on the cross. And he looks down, and his mother Mary is there, and John is there. And this is the account. This is verse 26, uh, chapter 19 of John. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. 
And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. For that time on, the disciples took her into his, the disciple took her into his home. So we see that closeness, um, the beloved disciple there. Also, we see another account is when uh, uh, Jesus had risen. They find out the tomb is empty and Peter and the, the beloved disciple run to the tomb and, and the beloved disciple John gets there first and Peter comes later. He, he had to point out that Peter was a little slower than him. <laughs> and, and, but there's um, this, this closeness there. Now, technically... The gospel itself is anonymous, and it wasn't until uh, the title was put to John, a uh, gospel according to John, uh, that we see the author um, stated in the gospel. But that was added very early on, uh, probably as early as 125 A.D., so very early on, the title, the gospel according to John. When they put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, um, they had the title, the gospel according to John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so on. So we see this um, early, very early on, early enough that it could have been disputed if it wasn't John. Someone would say, hey, no, I, I wrote this. Um, but early on, this title was attributed to, to John. Also, early on as well, um, church, early church tradition said that John wrote this later in his life. Uh, so one of the very last, or the last gospel to be written, written around 800, or 80, 80 A.D., so as we look at this, too, an uh, important thing is you get into a book. So whenever you're going to read a new book in the Bible, you need to ask, well, what's the purpose of this book? What was the author's purpose? And John um, is very gracious, and he just, he just tells us what his purpose for writing. Um, you can look, if, even if you want right now, John 20. If you go to John 20, verse 30 and 31, if you go there, we'll see John tell us. Why is he writing? It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Again, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he's writing... So that people will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior, that he has come, he is the Son of God, and that as if you believe, you have life. And we'll see those themes throughout John as he writes these things. And he's writing them to the church as well. So the church would take this from church to church, and they'd read this gospel. So it was for those who had yet to believe, but we know too, it strengthened the belief. It was a measure of God's grace, just to strengthen the belief of the believers in the church. So we see it's written for those who had yet to believe, but also those who are following him, maybe followed him for decades. And, they, and we here, if we've never heard of him or we've followed him forever, there's truth here. There's a strengthening of our faith and also a call to believe. And also, as we learn of Jesus and who he is, we learn how to follow him and walk with him and, and trust him and know him. One thing I noticed as I was reading through John recently preparing for uh, walking through John. One thing that really struck me, I, I probably I'd noticed it before, but uh, I just really stood out was how many times throughout John you see the word believe or believes or believing or unbelief again and again and again. There's a huge theme. About a hundred times you see this in John. You see people who encounter Jesus, 
and then they believe. And they counter Jesus, maybe they hear him, or they see a miracle, and they believe again and again and again. And in the other Gospels, the believe is, is used just a handful of times. So there's this distinct emphasis to believe that he's the Son of God, and that he is the Messiah who came to save. And one of the, if, you, if you were to say, what is the most, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and one of the most famous verses in John, what, what might you say, John 3.16, right? John 3.16. Um, so I remember as a kid watching football and seeing always the John 3.16 guy. I don't know if you see that guy um, very often now, but John 3.16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that, he, that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So even in just that short passage, you see this emphasis on believe, that Christ came to save. And we'll see this again and again. And the verse that I've already highlighted, and the one that's even just in the title of our, of our series is that Jesus, who the disciples say, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. We have believed. Now, uh, in the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and those are the synoptic Gospels. And John is, is a good bit different uh, than those other three. Uh, the other three cover a lot of similar material, most likely Mark wrote, ver- Mark, Mark wrote his gospel first, and Matthew and Luke had that as they wrote. Uh, so there's a lot of parallel. But in the gospel of John, uh, about 90%, I read was about 90% of it is unique to John. And he comes with his own perspective, and he comes and tells stories that the others did not. Um, you don't see parables. It's interesting in John. Um, and surely John had the other Gospels, but he doesn't rely on them as he's writing. Um, but he writes and kind of fills in gaps where the others did not fill in gaps. And he writes from his perspective. One thing, too, in, the John, in John you'll see there's an emphasis on theology. There's just a lot of teaching of who God is and who Christ is. You think of all the I am statements of Jesus that we encounter in John where he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the light of the world the bread of life, and I am the vine. So we have all these things where Jesus teaches who he is and who God is and the relationship of God the Father and God the Son. And we're going to see these throughout. Now, who are the, the recipients? Well, is that first century church as they gathered and they worshipped and John wrote this for them. And there were churches filled with both Jews and non-Jews. And we see that even in the Gospel of John where he explains different customs, Jewish customs and locations and things for those who were unfamiliar, but at the same time, he talks about how there's different ways that, that the Old Testament uh, prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus, um, so also addresses those who are waiting for the Messiah, so we see the, the early church um, being written to and, and being called to know who Jesus is and to believe. Now today, uh, we're going to get into the first beginning part of John, and the w- verses 1 through 18, um, you might 
see them referred to as a prologue of the whole gospel. And a, a prologue, it, it intros the themes of the gospel. And we, we see him intro these themes and helps us to understand what's going. These are things that John's like, you need to know these things. Uh, be looking for them. And so we need to, to look in and see what we need to know. And some of the things that we're going to see even in just this prologue is the divinity of Jesus, that he is, he is fully God. We see life and light, belief, the relationship of God the Father and God the Son, grace and truth. All these themes are going to happen as we begin. So as we begin, um, again, we need to ask, what does John want us to know about Jesus? What is he trying to teach us? What are these things that he's saying? These are really important. What do you want us to know and believe? So we begin in verse 1. And the first thing that we see that the truth that John wants us to see about Jesus is that Jesus, the Word, always was. He always was. He, we see the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. So let's just begin. I'll read the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus was from the very beginning, even before creation. He says, in the beginning... So this whole phrase, even in the beginning, he's writing to his audience where they would recognize something distinct about this intro. It's a little bit like if I were to say um, and say, what am I referring to when I say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? That's all I need to say, right? Right? I'm talking about um, Star Trek. No, um, Star Wars, Right? You're gonna, uh, you, we just know, we hear these things. And he says, in the beginning. And they know right away that he's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the very first book in the Old Testament, the very first verse, Genesis 1, 1, that says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And again, he's speaking about Jesus. So he's saying that Jesus pre-existed his, he was before all of creation. He was. He's always been. He will always be. And we, even verse 2, again, says, He was in the beginning, reminding us again that Christ always has been. And then he speaks of him, too, as the Word, Jesus as the Word. And this is that Greek word of logos or logos, depending on how, how you say it. Um, how scholarly you want to sound or not. So I'm just going to say logos. I think it's less scholarly. So, no. um, so this is a word that has a lot of meaning. It can mean reason. It means word. But most likely, as John writes, he's looking to the Old Testament and how it spoke about the word and God's word. It's a significant thing in the Old Testament and in relation to creation itself. He's pointing back to creation. And in creation, how did God create? He spoke, and it was. He spoke, and it was. He said, let there be light, and there was light. We have a God who speaks. And it's a significant attribute of our God. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Just pointing to the fact that by the word of God, creation is. And will always be until there's a new heaven and a new earth. Also, when we think about word, um, in the Old Testament as well, God used word to reveal 
himself, to reveal his will, to reveal his purpose. He revealed who he was and who he is. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 speaks about that. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So he's one who, who speaks and he reveals his will. So we have a God who didn't just create and then abandon his creation, but a God who created and then continued to speak and reveal and to show himself and speak and tell us who he is, reveal his word and his will, his ways. And we need to speak. Words are important. Uh, you think of it in a relationship, um, if you want to get to know someone, um, you need to hear them speak, and you need to speak to them. I don't know if, if you are like me, if you've ever seen someone maybe from afar, or maybe in, in some kind of, maybe, uh, in, uh, maybe even in church, where you didn't know them very well, but you just observed them, and you made all these kind of assumptions and thoughts about them, but then you go and you talk with them, and you're like, wow, I was totally off. Words are important. Uh, and Christ um, is one who is the living word. The word became flesh. The one who reveals God to us. God incarnate. The invisible God made visible the word. One commentary said it this way. God's word is the, in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation. Revelation and salvation said the son, God's son Jesus manifest. Uh, um, personifies, I'm sorry, personifies the word as God's ultimate self-disclosure. So it's God revealing himself through Jesus, the word. So second, what else? What other truths? What's the second truth that John wants us to know about Jesus? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So in the beginning, we see there's this relationship between God the Father and God the Son, that Jesus was with God. One note um, on that word in one study, um, study note said regularly uh, this word with employed in expressing the, um, the presence of one person with another. So there's this idea of relationship of one person with another. So it's speaking of this personal relationship between God the Father and God the Son, the word. And it, direct, it indicates that they're distinct from one another. So it begins to even teach things about the Trinity, of who our God is. Three persons, yet one God. So there's a closeness, yet a, a distinctness, too, as well with them. And then a third thing was that the third truth that John wants us to know about Jesus. As we begin this gospel, what does he want us to know? And this is very significant. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here we hear him saying that Jesus was and is God. And this would have been this mind-blowing statement. Because you think of the Old Testament. That was very clear that there's one God. Think of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord our God, the Lord is the Lord is one. Um, and yet here he says that the word is God. So it begins to to teach them that there is God the Father and God the Son, and we know God the Holy Spirit as well, and he's beginning to teach them that Jesus is God incarnate. He's telling his audience, 
It's mind-blowing fact. And then he's going to write this gospel to prove and to show that indeed Jesus is God. He is the Son of God, but he is God, fully God and fully man. He is the unseen God made visible. Another commentary said this, John intends that the whole of his gospel shall be read in light of this verse. I think that's true. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. And if this not be true, then this book would be blasphemous if it was not true. And that too also, he doesn't just begin, John doesn't just begin telling us that Jesus is God, but he makes it clear the very end as well, or near the end. Think of the story of Thomas, where he's one of the disciples, and this is after the resurrection. This is in John 20, verses 27 through 28. And Jesus appears to the disciples, but Thomas is, is out. He's not there. I don't know if he's getting, getting food or what, but he's not there. And he comes back, and they tell him that um, Jesus appeared. And he said, well, I need to put my hands in his hands, into the holes in his hands, and the, the hole in his side, and then I'll believe. And then Jesus appears to Thomas, and he says, Put your finger here and examine my hands. Extend your hand and put it in my side. Do not continue in your unbelief, but believe. And then Thomas, what does he reply? My Lord and my God. So he looks to Jesus, and he declares him to be God. So we see just a clear teaching that Jesus is fully God, and we have the beginning understanding of God in three persons. Again, this mystery. It's a mystery that uh, there are mysteries throughout Scripture, uh, and this is one of those. And one where we have a God who's so great, if we could just explain every bit of the way that God works and who He is, um, He wouldn't be all that great of a God. But we have a God who is three persons, yet one, one God. And then fourth, what is a fourth thing in verse 3? that we see that um, John wants us to know about Jesus. We read verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So here he's saying Jesus is creator. He's the center of all creation, and God the Father, through Christ, created all things. So he's letting, letting us know from the very beginning that God is part of all of creation, or that Jesus was part of all creation. He is creator, and he's one that created even us, even the reader, even all of the audience, all those in the church that were hearing this for the very first time, they were knowing that Jesus is the one who created you and me. And he writes these things. Paul, later in the New Testament, I think this is a helpful passage that also speaks about Christ as creator. This is in Colossians 1, 16 through 17. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So here we see that Christ is one who created all things, and, and he holds all things together. He holds all things up. Even as we look at all of creation, even you think of, of this building that's built of, we have studs and trusses and things that are holding these things up. But ultimately, um, I don't know if I described that correctly. Um, correct me later how I messed that up. But anyway, um, so holding all this together, uh, but ultimately it's Christ that holds all the universe together. I think if maybe you've seen some of those pictures from the Webb telescope that are just amazing. We see in the far reaches of the universe, 
we're reminded that he is a creator of all these things. And we see such design and such beauty. We're reminded that they all uh, tell us a little bit about the beauty of, and the power of our creator God. So is there, if you haven't looked at any of those pictures, you should go, go, go look at those. Those are amazing. So we see this truth. Um, and it, it doesn't really matter um, whether you acknowledge this truth or not. Um, it's the truth that um, doesn't need our assent for it to be true. Christ is creator of all things. And then as we continue, a fifth and sixth thing, last couple things that we're going to look at today uh, that John wants us to know about Jesus. Jesus is the source of all life and light. He's the source of all life and light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we see that Jesus, he is a source of life, both physically and spiritually. He is the source of life as one who is creator, source of physical life, and the one who came to bring eternal life as our Savior to bring real, true, eternal life, and He is the giver of life and light and truth. Think of the light that goes out from Him. He's the one who is the speaker of truth where there's revelation of God's Word and His will, and He shines out that light. One translation, uh, the New Living puts this verse this way. I think it's helpful. It says, The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. And also, too, we think of this passage, it's already pointed out that the very first verse in the beginning points us to creation. So there's echoes of creation throughout these verses. And we see that this idea of light and life as well in creation. First is light, verse 3 of chapter 1 in Genesis. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And light broke out into darkness. It bursted, burst forth into darkness. And then Genesis throughout Throughout the account, we have creation of life, of all life. And so we have one who's a source of all life and all light. Also, um, in the Old Testament, these are themes, too. If we walk through the Old Testament of light and life, life specifically, in Isaiah 9, there's the account that looks forward. It's a prophecy of Jesus to come. It's one at, at Christmas we often look to that speaks about for us. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and how he is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. But before that, it speaks about how as he comes, light breaks forth in a dark place. Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So as, as Christ comes onto the scene, truth breaks forth, light and hope and life breaking forth, light into darkness. And then we're going to see as we walk through the Gospel of John, there's all these ways where Jesus speaks about himself as light and life. Let me read some of those verses. This is John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I am the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
John 11, 25 through 26, Jesus said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, we, we just see that Jesus is clear. He's the source of all life and all light and truth. From him, the truth of God's word is revealed, truth of the gospel, and through him, life, forgiveness of sins, and new life in him, and righteousness by his death on the cross that he gives us, that we can enter into the kingdom of God. And then verse 5, we see just the power of light breaking forth. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines into darkness. It's the power of of the gospel breaking forth, power of Christ breaking forth. And again, it says, the light, present tense, shines. And it continues to shine into darkness and breaks forth in dark places. And this is a beginning. It will continue next week in this chapter. And we see that it's speaking of Christ incarnate, that he became flesh and the light breaking forth. So we see these things, that light is, is breaking forth on the scene and we have one who is Jesus who comes and speaks truth and two as we see this that the light or the yes the, the darkness cannot overcome the light there's a great power of it and one thing too in John we're going to see that throughout it that there are going to be those who try to discredit Jesus those who question him those who tear try to tear him down to stop the light the message of the gospel they want to kill him and they kill him but the light does not stop. Um, the light continues to break forth. And Jesus is risen. And we see even today that still light continues to break forth in dark places. And we see just that reality uh, of light, uh, that it breaks forth. I don't know if you've been in a dark room. It doesn't take much of a light to break forth in that. Um, maybe even, maybe I know one time we, we bought this little side lamp that we had and we didn't realize back of it had this tiny led and it and it's like it kept me away it was like that led that tiny light i can't believe it but that's how light is it's such that it breaks forth the light of christ is so much brighter and so much greater and it cannot be overcome and it continues to shine, shine in really dark places where people continue to try to crush that message and satan loves to destroy and distort that message but the light continues to go forth this week received a, a text message, a prayer text message from the family that um, is with Calvary Family Churches that are in Southeast Asia. And they said that uh, there had been, a, one of the believers had passed away and they had a funeral for him. And um, they had, a, I'm sure, a Christian funeral for him. And some of the other believers came to that. And because of that, they were, they were in a sense, outed for being believers. They had been secret uh, followers of Christ. And then it became known and persecution was coming upon them now that it was known that they were followers of Christ. But still in that place, even though it's dark, even though um, it is hard to be a believer, the gospel still goes forth. And we saw that when we were um, in Asia as well. The light continues to shine. And two, it should be a reminder to us. You know, a lot of what we have today is the application is these are truths we need to believe and that we need to be looking for as we walk through John. But here we're reminded even, even a little amount of light in a dark place makes a big impact. And 
We're reminded that the Lord has planted us in all different places, depending on where, where we are in life right now and where we work or where we live. The Lord's planted us to be that light of the gospel to shine forth in dark places. So as we begin reading this, we're reminded that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is God, fully God. One um, cool thing is I get to walk through this is when uh, Kelly and I, when we lived in Kentucky uh, many moons ago uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, the church that we were at, or I was at about seven years, and Kelly, because we, we met there and, and we're married there. I can't remember how many years she was at that church, but the pastor there, uh, Dr. Cook, um, Bill Cook, who is a, also a professor at the seminary um, that we were at, um, he wrote a, a commentary on John. And I'd forgotten he'd written that. I, I went and got it off of Amazon, and it was like this comforting friend of, of an old pastor that gets to keep speaking, um, encouraging me. As we walk through that, it's, it's kind of exciting. I'd message him and tell him, hey, I'm getting to walk through John, and uh, thank you for your ministry still to me. Anyway, uh, so just know that that's going on in the background as I'm studying John. But this is what Dr. Cook says about this first portion about Jesus, who is God. He says, you can, you can say almost anything you want about Jesus today except that he is God. Most Contemporary people, like most people in Jesus' day, find that thought offensive. If one believes that Jesus is God, then they must believe that, he, then that what he said is true. To acknowledge that Jesus is God is to affirm that all other religions are false and that Christianity, only Christianity is true. This is exactly what John teaches in his prologue. John's prologue may be the most magnificent and beautiful passage in the Bible. There is no passage of comparable length that sets forth the grand, the grandeur, in, that sets forth in grander fashion the deity and majesty of Jesus Christ. And I think we will see that. We began to see that, and we'll continue to see that. Just the beauty of Jesus, and be reminded uh, that Jesus is God, the one and only. And I think back, as I mentioned, I do think back about uh, that young man who, whose greatest hope in uncertain times was just to see that time continued. That was some sort of anchor for him. And I just want to cry out to him and say, there's so much more. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Word, who's full of life and truth, He is God. And he calls you. And as we'll see in John, He says, come to me, all you. So may we be reminded that there is one. And as we walk through this, uh, may the Lord just move in your heart and that you know and be able to say with confidence, to whom else would I go? To whom else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you today for these ancient words uh, that you, by your Holy Spirit, moved John to write down for us that we could have I account witnesses of the truth of Jesus and his life and his word and his, his message. We thank you that we have something in uncertain times and troubling times and difficult times and suffering and trials that we can look to, that we can look to Jesus, the one who is our anchor, the one who always was and always will be, the one whose light was not overcome and will never be overcome. And Lord, may our hearts be encouraged and 
may we, as we even walk through that, this, um, this gospel, uh, for those who have yet to believe that their hearts would be stirred and awakened by the truth of the gospel. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, may our, our faith be strengthened. May we uh, be those who, even when we wrestle and still say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, may that belief be strengthened as we walk through the gospel of John. Help us in that. And Lord, help us to be reminded even this week that even a, a, little, a little bit of light breaks through darkness. Lord, help us to be those who, who shine and speak of the hope that we have in Jesus and be reminded that we have those around us who um, have very little to look to uh, for help and hope and trial if they do not know Jesus. Just prompt our hearts, remind our hearts this week, we pray. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we